Welcome to another episode in our political psychology series. I am super excited, haven't been this excited for a number of weeks to have a guest on. This is Andrew Cooper joining us today. He's the director and founder of Liberty Works, a not-for-profit do tank, as he describes it, which is, I guess, you know, compared to a think tank, they actually get stuff done. Uh, it's very important in this season where we've seen a lot of our freedoms abridged uh, to have a discussion around what is liberty, uh, what is the Australian understanding of liberty, where did it come from, and where are we going? So, Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Matt. Thanks very much for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. Andrew, it's uh, really our pleasure because this is such a critical discussion I think we're about to have. If you look around the landscape of pretty much the planet, or at least the Western world, you can you can get discussions on liberty coming out of the US, of course, maybe out of the classical liberals in, in the UK. But in Australia, it's very hard for me to find someone who can come and talk about this kind of subject matter. So how about we start with this? What is the state of liberty in Australia? Uh, and where where does it come from? What what is the landscape like for us in our particular context? Uh, look, I think um, I think I think it's a mixed report card. To be perfectly frank, um, Australia is still a great country to live in. Uh, Australia still has a commitment to the principles of freedom that is the envy of most places in the world. Uh, Australia's legal system uh, is a uh, uh, something that upholds those uh, those values in the main, uh, but on the on the downside, I think uh, I think we're a little bit like the uh, you know the frog in the uh, ever increasing uh, boiling water. Um, you know, I don't think we realise just how many of our freedoms we're giving have be, have given up over the last, particularly over the last twenty years or so. And what this pandemic has done is it's actually really illustrated just what incredible powers have been given to governments, uh, not just the federal government, but the state governments. You know, there's an a, a enormous raft of powers that have, that have been sold into the legislature, into the politicians, and of course us, uh, that they'd only be ever deployed in a very unusual circumstances um, in either uh, health emergencies, which we've, uh, um, which we've experienced, or or in fact, even in uh, sort of, um, uh, you know, wartime emergencies. Mm. And so uh, what the pandemic has done is it's really, I think, uh, brought to the fore just what a precarious position we're actually in and just what, how, just, just how close freedom's being taken away is at any point in time. Yeah, Andrew, it always shocks me when I speak to people like yourself who've been in this fight a lot longer than I have, when you say things like 20 years because all I'm really, I mean, I'm only 34 years old, but all I'm seeing is freedoms going away mostly through Corona. And before that, maybe five years ago, you've been doing this for 20 years. What, what have you been doing in the, in the night, in the two thousands? What, what's, what's Liberty? Uh, I about? haven't been, I haven't been entirely committed to the uh, cause of freedom beyond being a, uh, a, uh, someone who complains at uh, barbecues and <laughs> dinner parties about where the country's going. So we've been, Liberty Works was established about three years ago. Uh, and our and our uh, our mission, I guess, is to sort of gather up Australians and engage them uh, around conversations with uh, 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 you know freedom and 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 liberty. The you know the, the these pretty esoteric sort of you know big philosophical questions, if you like. Mm, mm. Uh, and we do a lot of conferences and uh, and uh, have produced a lot of material uh, discussing these things. 
uh, what we've just had a conference in Sydney called CPAC, which is very much a conservative leaning, um, conservative leaning uh, conference, but uh, one that I think is really important to engage with that 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 audience to help them, you know, to try and get them thinking about what do they really believe in, what is conservatism in this modern age? Because if you go back fifty years, what was conservatism back then is quite different to what it is now. Um, I've got conservative friends that have gone on a journey where once upon a, once upon a time, they believed that conservatism was pretty well getting government out of our lives. Mm. Now they think conservatism is government being active in our lives, protecting people, protecting them from, uh, from the left. It's become more of a culture war thing more than uh, kind of a political or philosophical principle. Uh, so, you know, I think, um, I think uh, there's big challenges ahead. Uh, I've been involved for three years uh, uh, because I, I just felt like I couldn't sit back and complain too much longer. I had to actually do something. And so uh, we started our, uh, our do tech. Uh, we've got some traction. We're up and running and uh, looking to, uh, looking to uh, move the conversations forward, so to speak. So when you say uh, these backyard, uh, barbecue conversations, uh, complaint sessions you've had for 20 years, what were you complaining about 15 years ago? I don't recall any issues with Liberty 15 years ago. Uh, I guess for me, my mate, when I think back to my younger years, I guess my, my complaints always been the growth in government. Um, right. And not, not just the size of government, but the growth in government's uh, interest in individuals. So there's about 60,000, 70,000 pages of regulations mm. that are produced every year by just federal government. Mm. Uh, now, every time you regulate, you take away somebody's freedom. Like that's the nature of regulation. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to regulate somebody's activities. And, I, you know, my, my estimation, you know, 99% of this is entirely unnecessary regulation. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, and this has been going on for really 50 years. At one point, uh, 50 years ago, the size of uh, the federal, the size of government as a percentage of GDP was around about 7%. Now it's well over 30%. 30%. Thirty percent, yeah, yeah. Oh, so I, no I mean, idea. that's the, yeah, the government's uh, government's probably the the biggest player in our economy. Um, Are you talking about federally or just in Queensland? I know Queensland. Uh, well, federally, no, no, uh, no. That, that, that's collectively the, the different layers of government, um, federal and state right. uh, governments. And so, I mean, that, there's been just this massive expansion of not just the size of government, but also, I mean, when you've got a big government, what's it doing? Well, what it's doing is it's looking at you it's looking at me and it's looking at all of us and trying to work out what we should and can't do um uh, you know and and, and this to me is a is just a a big problem now now having said that i mean you don't be too negative about it uh the way i look at it is we we still live in a great country um there's still so many positives about this country that um we should be prepared to acknowledge and be uh, thankful for that we have the the good fortune to live here but i do think It is. I really do think it is. Uh, you know, it is a magnificent country. But, uh, you know, I, you, you just, I guess we all think, if you've got kids, Matt, we all think about uh, what sort of country we're leaving for our children. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting. The same question is asked by those that want big government as the, as, as asked by those that uh, prefer to get government out of our lives. They're the same questions. Uh, we have different ways or different views about how the same objective should be achieved. Do you remember Julie Gillard a few years ago, 2010-ish, uh, waving, holding up as a, a runs on the board how many pieces of legislation they passed, like that was a good thing. We've passed 400 things. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that, was her, that was her scorecard. 
Yeah. But I, I am I look, I'm hearing screaming voices in my head right now of central Australia, as in the center, political center of Australia, saying, hang on, hang on, hang on, you liberty freaks. We can't not have regulation. We need the government to protect us, to prevent us from predation, corporate type stuff and and crazy stuff. You know, you know what I'm talking about. What what do you say to that center majority who who think uh, we're all just crazy libertarians? It's interesting you use that term, crazy libertarians. So my, my personal view is that there's no point putting on the crazy libertarian persona and telling them that they're wrong. Uh, my view is uh, if I can't adequately explain why the growth in government is bad for them, and if, they, if I can't make it my mission to get them to, uh, you know, come on a journey with me on the freedom train, so to speak, um, then that's a failure of mine. That's not a failure of theirs. And right. I think, uh, you know, libertarians are, we're, we're funny, we're funny people. Uh, we tend to be pretty thoughtful about big philosophical questions. And libertarianism is a, is a, it's a philosophical issue. It's not a, um, it's not really a political issue. Politics flows out of it. But if you're a, if you're a thoughtful libertarian, libertarian, what it can give you is it can give you the tools in which to sort your thoughts out about big philosophical questions. Uh, what is the difference between right and wrong? Uh, what are the, um, uh, you know, how to ad address some of the great moral questions of our time? And once you, once you sort of start to understand that, it becomes incredibly, it can be quite frustrating to deal with uh, people that haven't gone down that path, that haven't really thought deeply about some things or positions that they hold passionately about. Um, and so it can be quite frustrating. And sometimes the, the crazy libertarian might express their frustration. And I think that's the worst thing you can do. I mean, the most, you know, if you're trying to influence someone or if you're trying to engage with someone is probably a better word. You know, the thing that you must do is you must listen. And so, um, you know, I try to invite, I try to create forums. I mean, CPAC's a classic, right? It's a conservative, um, it's a conservative political action conference is to gather up conservatives and libertarians and discuss big ideas. Now, now, my job when I go there is not to tell people how they should be thinking. I don't, I don't do that at all. Uh, I am there to really listen and try and understand where the commonality, where the Venn diagrams intersect, mm -hmm. where the common ground is and how we can expand that common ground between these two groups that in many ways should be allies, but often uh, combatants in the, uh, in, in sort of these uh, debates over big ideas. Yeah, I find it interesting that you lump in together conservatives and libertarians. Obviously, that's deliberate, strategic on your part, because in the US, you have obviously, you know, you got the right, you got the left, you got the conservatives, and you got the progressives, and then the libertarians are sort of laughing at both sides. Why don't you yeah. include progressives here in Australia, the, the mainstream progressives, most of our, you know, media and elites because the ones i speak to are very decent uh very normal i'm not talking about the greens and radical societal change type groups i'm talking about you know some of our mayors and you know environmentalists but rational environmentalists can they not be um, liberty-minded of course they can absolutely and in fact some of so the chairman of our organization is uh, warren mundine uh who Legend. used to be the president of the labor party yeah. one of the speakers that i uh I feature at our conferences regularly is Mark Latham, who obviously mm. was the uh, near near Labor president, uh, prime minister of the country. Mm. Mm. Uh, so there's definitely uh, there's definitely uh, journeys that can be had from the left to the liberty 
minded. And I'd call, you know, I mean, uh, you, you wouldn't say Mark when he stretches a libertarian overall, but he's certainly got this innate uh, ability to recognize that in lots of areas of life, particularly in sort of freedom of speech and other areas, mm. uh, government has no place. Um, so it's definitely, uh, there are journeys from the left. Uh, CPAC is, is a, um, a forum for conservatives and mm. libertarians. And if you look at the US, some of the great libertarians in that country are members of the Republican Party. So think Ron and Rand Paul, for example, yep, uh, true, you know, true. great Republican Party congressman. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't, it's the same thing, doesn't mean that there aren't others coming from the left. But what my personal experience here in, um, in Australia, and I suspect the US, is that the left side of politics um, is more organized and more authoritarian, not in the nature of what it says, but also in the way it organizes themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's much more difficult to engage with the left in my personal experience. Uh, uh, the classic example is when we did CPAC the first time uh, last year, you know, we brought over Nigel Farage from the US and well done. Um, yep. Congressman Mark Meadows uh, from the States, who became Ch Trump's chief of staff this year, actually, uh, and a whole bunch of others, right? And um, the left just immediately went on the attack. And, uh, you know, you just wouldn't see that from the right side of politics and certainly not from the libertarian side of politics, uh, quadrant of politics. So, you know, they're much more organised. They're much more uh, uh, definitive about, you know, what should and shouldn't happen in the country. And it's just, they're just a lot more they're not a little bit more difficult to engage with so what mm. i find with the left personally anyway is that you you just find people that drop out of the left side of politics this is the authoritarian left and that and that includes like people like mark latham who says that the labor party left him okay yeah. and he was left yeah. behind so he becomes a straggler of which and then, and then mm. suddenly he's free to start being thoughtful about some of these issues that uh, were imposed on him previously so uh and i shouldn't speak for mark that may not entirely paraphrase what he actually thinks. Uh, but, um, um, you know, I think I would love to have um, uh, a forum where we could invite, uh, you mentioned aspects of the left along. You mentioned the Greens. In fact, libertarianism has a probably a lot more in common with certain parts of the Green movement in terms of civil liberties. Yes. In some ways, probably the old Labor Party, in some ways with the old Labor Party, mm. then more so than with with the uh, highly conservative rump of the right side of politics in, in some ways. Um, the difference just purely, Matt, is that it's easier to talk to the right side as a libertarian okay. than it is well, to the left. I've certainly mm. been trying to get more uh, lefties on this show and you, I found it very difficult. But uh, look, Mark Latham is interesting that you raise him because I remember when I was a kid when he was doing the infamous handshake with John Howard, and I remember he was, you know, the, the disaster was, oh, no, Mark Latham prime ministership would be the worst thing ever. But if I look back on those times, I would love, compared to what we're seeing now in the US and here, I'd, and, and in Victoria, oh, my goodness, I would love to have a Mark Latham or a, a Bill Clinton or any of these previously left people as, as our leaders. They're so much more rational than the AOCs and the Ilans and these sort of people and the Bidens and the Kamalas that we're seeing now. Yeah. Can I, can, I, yep. can I ask you about Mark Latham specifically? He represents that really that really logical pub test type thing, you know, the Australian come on, 
be fair dinkum, be reasonable. Like he, he appeals to that general sense of freedom rather than getting up like a Rand Paul or a, a Ron Paul and saying, these are the principles of liberty and John Locke and natural rights. He, he's very, very digestible to us. So I've always wondered whether Australia actually has a strong love of freedom, but they express it in a very subtle way. Am I right about that? No, I don't know, Matt. That's a good question. Um, and I don't think I've got a definitive answer for you. I do worry about where we, you know, where we lie, I guess, you know, if, if the political spectrum starts with, um, you know, heavy government and big authoritarian sort of government and ends with uh, less authoritarianism and maximum freedom. I do worry where Australians lie on that spectrum now. I think, mm-hmm. I think we like to think of ourselves as being pioneering types and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, self-determining and uh, freedom-loving. Mm. And I think probably in a way we were that and maybe aspects of us still are, but... Um, where we are now, I'm not so sure. But you're right, Mark Latham does tap into um he does tap into those, I get I guess, that yearn for a little bit more common sense and a little bit more um uh a little bit less influence over particularly our free speech, our ability to speech mm. uh, speak uh speak things that may be unpopular. And he really does tap into that. But I gotta say, Mark is also a very intellectual kind of guy. Mm. Um um and uh you know i can recall that handshake uh, i was at voting age at that stage and uh, well into it actually um and i you know i was, I'd supported the um the coalition but um at that stage in a two-party system but but you know you're right with the benefit of hindsight um today's mark latham would be a such a breath of fresh air such Amen. a such a neat thing it's interesting at cpac uh, we gave mark the last speech of the day Mm. Now, we had uh, three federal senators, uh, Craig Kelly, mm. uh, a bunch of Liberal Party luminaries, National Party luminaries there. And there were people from One Nation and other conservative groups as well from the Liberal Democrats. Uh, uh, but Mark really, he unleashes truth bombs. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them weren't particularly uh, friendly towards the, uh, the, the LMP. Yeah. But when I looked around the room wondering, you know, whether this was a little awkward mm. uh, to my recollection or to my observation, pretty well all the liberal party luminaries are, are nodding their head. Right? right. So it's great to have someone like him around to tell the liberal party, you know, where they may be erring. Uh, yes. And I think for most of them, some of them probably know, but the, the nature of political parties is it's hard to change course. And yeah. uh so you know he's a breath of, he's a breath of fresh air. There there are others around, uh, and and our job is to, you know, to gather up people that aren't constrained by their, you know, the, by their p- political overseers, and get them into rooms and and talk about these things and drop those truth bombs and debate them at the social functions and um, mm. and and hopefully uh, hopefully you know people sort their thoughts out and get a better understanding of where their political affiliations and philosophy really lie. Is Mark just as an aside? Is Mark in Sydney or Melbourne? He's in Sydney. Sydney, yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, born right. and bred Western Sydney, uh, still lives yep. out there, yep. and uh, you know, very much still in touch with that uh, that part of the community. Okay. If you look at what's happening here, and I'm sure you're familiar with Melbourne, uh, but uh, the the big surprise has been people, the great 
majority mass not willing to stand up for their freedom or the liberty. But as soon as you start to cross that pub test, oh boy, do they not comply. So to get people to not wear a mask because of, you know, I've had so many epidemiologists on my couple of shows proving it wrong, you know, various issues on masks. They won't take the mask off. But as soon as it's a hot day and they've got to lift some tiles onto a roof or, or go to the beach, masks off. Or if they want to have an Australia Day barbecue, they'll have the Australia barbecue. Who cares about the no person over to your home? Yeah. So I, I do see like a larrikinism or a civil disobedience, but it has to come from this kind of, leave me alone. I'm getting on with my life place. They'll never stand up for their rights in a protest. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't think our education system does a very good job about connecting the dots between what politics actually means and does and how, how it connects to your own personal philosophy and feelings about these, these sort of issues. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, you know, why doesn't it? Well, we know why it doesn't because the, you know, the, the, the government's taken it over. I mean, my kids are in private school and, um, uh, and they've got to be taught the national curriculum now, which is this one size fits all kind of, um, you know, uh, curriculum about, you know, all sorts of cultural war stuff. So, um, uh, you know, I think Victoria is, I mean, you, you'd, you'd be you'd be more f- much more familiar with it than me, but I think Victoria. There's two things I observe with Victorians or Victoria, is that it culturally it does seem to be a little bit more to the left of yeah. the political spectrum, and it has been for a lot as far as I yeah. can remember. Yeah. Probably goes back to the old sort of manufacturing yeah. um, um, history that the that the that the port had. Um, uh, but also there's this, this sort of greater willingness to um, allow government to um, mm. to take away those rights. But it's, it's funny, Matt, like, you know, you have these uh, fantastic, you look what happened in Sydney with the, uh, with the, with the pub lockouts and the shut, you know, the closure of the uh, lockout the laws, night, yeah. the lockout laws, the, the, you know, the night, Yes, the nightlife was absolutely decimated, and you go to Melbourne, and you know you can stay out uh, and uh, have a coffee, or uh, you know have your G and T at sort of three a.m. in the morning if you want mm-hmm. to. So it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a conundrum. I mean, perhaps Melbourne or Victoria is a little bit more like Sweden in that uh, it's much more accepting of uh, government involvement in certain aspects of life and big government and uh, paternalism. But then when it comes to perhaps some of the social aspects of life, perhaps. Uh, Perhaps not so much. I'm not sure. I mean, you're much more connected there, but it is. It does appear to be culturally a little bit different, certainly from where I'm from, which is in Queensland. Well, it's probably what, like you say, comes down to that. You know, a deeper issue of the world views that we have here in here in Melbourne. I'm originally from Sydney. I've only been here for a year. I'm from Mark Latham's neck of the woods. But okay. uh, why don't we talk about those issues that we we started with in the beginning? You know, when you said people don't consider what's informing their their views and their opinions you know those ideas of liberty because i've been waiting for a guest to actually ask this question too i, I get the sense you have a, a firm understanding of that can we can we go a bit into that yeah yeah what, what, what specifically um... so what so what are these ideas behind liberty when you say that the conservative and the libertarians think a bit more deeply a bit more philosophically about these yeah. things whereas some on the left kind of just don't realize that they've got this undercurrent let's do that philosophical thing educate me a bit um, 
<laughs> I'll try. And thanks for putting me on the spot on this one. Uh, well, I, it's, so it's just to put you at ease, I'm a new to libertarianism as well. So I was raised a, a conservative yeah. and right wing authoritarian. And then five years ago, I said, that's crap. Yep. So the way the way I look at it is, look, look let's take something that was on the global stage, the American um, killing of George, George Floyd. Right. Okay. So, so the way I look at this is you have a prone man mm. on the footpath pleading for his life mm. and an authoritarian figure, a policeman, um, you know, slowly killing him. Um, uh, to me, though, the way I look at that is the left and the right then divide themselves into two cheer squads. Mm-hmm. Um, the right tend to, well, the left tend, the left uh, uh, believe that the, and, and they may have some justification for this. I don't pretend to know the American political situation or you know, the, num- the numbers that well, but the left side of politics tends to believe that these authoritarian figures are um, picking on black people. Uh, yeah. Uh, that there's an aspect of racism there, and that um, uh, and that this killing is a byproduct of something that's inherently wrong with society. So the left think, well, that's bad. So, and, and I'm using very generalizations here, of course, yep. Matt. Yep. You know, uh, when I say the left, but then aspects of the left, the Black Lives Matter movement, then think that it's okay to then go and uh, you know riot in the streets. Uh, attack people that they believe, um, uh, you know, vote or support um, these people that they think are racist, Mm. uh, damage property, um, uh, you know, so they basically hurt people and damage property. Mm. The right side of politics look at this and and think, well, um, this is what the left do. We need to support our police 100%. We need to get behind them. We need to have a strong police, bring in the army, uh, crush these, you know, terrible riders and, um, and, uh, and, and, and protect our property and, and, and life. And I guess the way I look at it is that the right and left have divided themselves. But I think what the libertarian does, the libertarian sees more nuance in that yeah. uh, and are able to more, more separate and sort out the issues. It doesn't become a tribal thing. It just becomes mm-hmm. a, philosophical thing and the way i look at it is it's quite simple the libertarian creed is essentially don't hurt people and don't take their stuff and if you're a libertarian you believe you can't hurt people you shouldn't be able to just kill someone um, and think that there are no consequences by the same token that doesn't justify what happens to someone else doesn't justify you you know riding down this you know rioting in a street uh taking people's property smashing their property up uh, and being aggressive towards people. So I think, I think the libertarian mind tends to be um, a little bit more practiced or a little bit more trained to sort through what appear to be very much black and white issues. And, um, and, and so I think to do that, you need to be thinking about this stuff. Right. Now, um, should we be thinking about this sort of stuff? Uh, this is where it gets a little bit, I think, a little bit... Uh, uh, depressing in a way, because to be honest, Matt, um, why would anyone think about politics too much? We all get one vote. We're never going to change any any election. And, you know, it's never going to happen where our one vote changes anything. So it's it's kind of, this is this public choice theory um, aspect to politics and voting, is that it's really not worth our time and effort to invest potentially hours or years of 
research and reading and contemplation into sorting our thoughts out if the only thing we can do is vote and we've only got one vote and our one vote will never, ever count in our entire life. Mm. So it's quite rational for people to be actually, well, it's to be rationally ignorant. And this is where, this is where the, uh, you know, it gets a little bit, it gets a little bit tricky. You know, I have a personal interest in politics and, um, and uh, libertarian thought and uh, trying to understand why one view may be superior to another. But to be honest, it may not be particularly rational for most people to be like that. How's that? Wow. Uh, I feel yeah. so empowered. My vote doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, I mean, if, if, yeah. if anyway, if, if, you know, just if someone wants to Google public choice theory, if they haven't heard of this concept before and, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, rational ignorance, uh, certainly, uh, certainly it's kind of instructive. It's kind of, uh, puts things into perspective. Um, yeah, and I understand. Yep. Yes, yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Yep. Oh, no, I was going to say, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm going to Google those things. It's, it makes sense what you're saying, but, um, it's interesting for me to hear that you describe the libertarian position as a more complex position than the caricature of it, which is, uh, Texas guns don't tread on me, you know. Yeah, and I think that uh, the the uh, the impulse of a libertarian who's thought through feels that they've spent a, invested a lot of time and intellectual en- energy, and if you profile the libertarian uh, um, the libertarian supporter or the libertarian you know um, mind, you'll find that it is much more of a um, uh, an engineering kind of systemic thought, someone who believes or practices systemic thinking. Uh, now, someone who's done all that and they come across uh, someone who's um, who holds a firmly held position in something that doesn't make any intellectual sense to that person, uh, the knee-jerk reaction sometimes is to adopt that crazy libertarian um, mm. uh, position, which is to really be, you know, Don't full frontal attack, basically, uh, and diminish the other person's thoughts. But, you know, uh, you know, getting to, um, getting to say a pro-gun position is very easy if you follow through the philosophical thinking. Where I might differ from most libertarians, I just think it's outside of the realm of um, of conversation in Australia. Yeah, um, there's absolutely. No, there's no point talking about something that no. everyone's already made up their mind on. Um, and uh, whilst um, Whilst it's kind of interesting to talk about this sort of stuff around a barbecue, it's really mm. no point talking about it publicly at the moment. Yeah, this, is my, this is my great frustration with David Lionhelm from the Liberal Democrats, the Libertarian Party in federal. He uh, he was a great guy, but he he would come out and fight these fringe issues sometimes and get so many people offside. I don't know why he bothered. Well, I mean, David's view was that um, at that time to get elected, you needed, you know, three and a half, four percent of the vote. And uh, mm. so he wasn't trying to everyone uh just so you know full disclosure i'm a past president president of the liberal democrats um, oh sorry to insult you <laughs> no the slightly insulting i mean uh um you know david uh, i mean he's a very strong personality the thing about david is he, he has his thoughts well sorted um, if you read his material he's a very good writer um mm. and he's very much um he's very much a solid libertarian mind uh, does that make him the best politician? Well, he's, I think he's a very good politician, uh, but he had a tendency to, um, 
to adopt positions that uh, are just too outside the Overton window. Uh, I think it was a bit early. I think he should go again now and shut up about gun rights and stuff and just fight for... He's considering his position. I mean, there's a, there'll be another New South Wales election and the upper house there is very much a winnable seat for the Liberal Democrats. Um, um, so, you know, uh, um, I think he's a, he's, a solid, um, he's a solid citizen in the libertarian community, there's no doubt about it. And there are others. We have uh, the Liberal, I say we, um, the Liberal Democrats have three other upper house representatives around the country. Aaron Stonehouse in uh, Western Australia is very solid uh, young guy. He's, Got his uh, thoughts sorted out as well, and uh, very personable actually. Mm. And uh, David Limbrick and uh, Tim yep. Cruelty in Melbourne. I'm sure you know who they are. Yep. Uh, David in particular has been really fighting. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Tim's out in the country, so he's doing the same thing. Yeah. But they're really fighting against this lockdown craziness that's been happening in uh, in Victoria, and the exploitation of the emergency powers that uh, mm. Dan Andrews has, um, you know, wrought upon everyone down there. It's um, uh, you really do need uh, those libertarian thinkers, I think, in every every state um, because they bring something to the table that the Liberal Party don't. And I'm so pleased to see that, um, you know, Dave and Tim have been, you know, making waves down there and doing great things. Yeah, it's, they're amazing. We've had David in this studio and he was actually caught recently in uh, the Kettling where the police... Kettling. Yeah, so he was caught in the kettling. It's on his page, and in some of my media guys were filming it in inside there being capsicum spread. It's unbelievable. Let's talk about that, right? So, with lockdowns and specifically police overreach, uh, I've had a few police people as well. They David was in the middle of that, and some in the community are. I mean, the media is painting him as a bit fringe for for being in there, and certainly Dan Andrews and friends is trying to paint him that way. Yeah. Others are saying he's the only one standing up for us in, you know, trying to get kids back into school and then, you know, that kind of stuff. And then being in this yeah. protest, what would those three select those three um, groups of society think the conservatives, progressives and libertarians, like we did for George Floyd, what would they say looking at the police stuff that's going on in, uh, well, mainly Melbourne, I guess. I think that's where all the issues have been with Zoe Butler and, people fined for taking their bins out, being choked to the ground for not wearing a mask, that kind of stuff. How would you look at all of that through a libertarian lens? Uh, well, just, just looking at it from a distance for a start, I think it's, uh, it, it's an incredible flipping of Australian politics at the moment. You've got the Labor Party uh, fully deploying powers to uh, uh, essentially use the police force to impose its will on the on the population. That's something that's ordinarily can uh, ordinarily sort of ascribed to the conservative side of politics. Yeah. yeah. Um, then you've got the Liberal Party and the Libertarians um, uh, arguing that these uh, powers and use of police are excessive. Yeah. Certainly, the Libertarians are arguing that very strongly, but the aspect mm. you know parts of the uh, Liberal Party are as well. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think it's just incredible. There's been this flipping of the political mm. spectrum there. It's just like uh, it's like. Hang, hang on. Why are you so surprised, Andrew? Because that I get this. I've had so many liberal pol- the Labor people won't touch me, but the liberal polis come in here all the time. They yeah. to me seem opportunistic, especially in the higher levels of our state Liberal Party here, opposition. I feel that if it was switched and they're in power, they'd be doing the exact same thing. Uh, and I think if what, what Stephen Marshall did in South Australia kind of indicates that, mm. I think you're right. Mm. 
what 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 you know I I've been surprised at what Lattice has done in New South Wales. I think and I think she deserves a bit of credit. Um, does she? You know, her, her view is simply that uh, state borders are arbitrary. What we really need to do is ring fence, ring fence the virus. If you yep. believe the virus needs to be contained, then I think all credit to her that she's actually uh, prepared to do that. And her state, you know, her state. I uh, think the employment figures yesterday showed that her mm-hmm. state was the only or one of the only that oh, WA was as well that had the. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. She needs well a round of applause. Yeah. Uh, well done. Her employment's going up there. She's getting the. Um, uh, the benefit. Whereas in Queensland, where I'm from, and 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 certainly in Victoria, um, you know, it's a different approach. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, sadly, uh, Stephen Marshall in South Australia, he's jumped on the bandwagon. And there's, a, I think, it'd be fair to say, there's some internal criticism of Stephen uh, around the of Liberal course. Party about uh, about about you know where he sits on the uh, political spectrum as well. Mm-hmm. Can I just say you mentioned Zoe Buller, um, the pregnant woman? I think, that got- yeah, I think it's Butler. Just, I think it's but Zoe Butler. No, Zoe Buller, and I know this oh, because we're okay. actually working with her and her family. We've raised uh, some money for her to fight oh, for the court that, case. For the court case, yeah. So oh, we've well raised done. about seventy thousand dollars so far. So any viewers, if you want to go to the Liberty Works website uh, and you want to chip in for Zoe, please do so because um, I mean she's facing a criminal conviction for posting on Facebook. Um, she still doesn't have her phone. I can't believe it. Yeah, she's a, and she like it's a criminal conviction. Um. And uh, and a twenty thousand dollar fine. I mean, it's just abhorrent that uh, a mm. Facebook post can uh, can lead to this under these emergency powers that we've handed to state governments. So, um, well, ordinarily, I'd say, don't worry, the judiciary will have her back. But my God, have you seen what the judiciary have been doing in Melbourne, going back uh, well, from the Pell case onwards? It's a joke. Yeah, it does seem. Yeah, it does. we shouldn't talk too much about that. I don't think, or we shouldn't make okay, sure. cast too many judgments. But, um, sure. but yeah, it is concerning, well, isn't it? Well, my point. My point is that the Victorian judiciary seems to be standing out from the rest of the other states, and is often corrected by the High Court. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep. All right. Sorry for saying Butler for the last six weeks, Zoe. Zoe Buller. Uh, so, in terms of how a libertarian would look at at these measures. What would they think? Yep. Uh, well, I think I think for a start, most libertarians have some struggles with it. So if we can get a little bit philosophical, yeah. uh, a core tenet of libertarian thinking is the non-aggression principle. Yes. This principle that that aggression should be avoided, uh, physical and 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 aggression towards property or theft should be avoided by all people. Uh, we extend that right. We don't attack people we don't take away liberty or life um, unless we're ourselves attacked Um, and so some libertarians consider the virus someone walking around with the virus as a breach of the non-aggression principle that is that if someone if you have the virus and you come into my into my space with the virus knowingly with the virus of course Mm. then you are essentially attacking me with this uh with this virus Mm -hmm. um I mean, I personally don't hold that view, um, but that's not to say that many libertarians um, they they certainly do. And I think I think it's so it's a it's a it's a challenging. I mean, the the, the not aggression principle itself is a bit of a challenging kind of concept to get your get your head around. If you can do that, then the next phase is well. I mean, it, let's face it: the flu kills people. Matt, mm. if you mm-hmm. come into my space when you're carrying the flu 
Mm. Is that the same? Are you aggressing towards me? Are you deserving of some sort of sanction? So where I differ is I think, um, I think uh, we should be moving more towards an era of personal responsibility. And I think the Swedes have shown the way in this respect. Um, and a personal responsibility means if you're capable of looking after yourself, then you should be doing that. You should be taking precautions uh, and you shouldn't be relying on big government, big nanny state to protect you. Um, in the end, your health is, is within your realm of control. And in this case, it certainly is. I mean, if you take precautions, um, if, you, uh, uh, if you keep uh, yourself uh, safe, then you will be safe. And the funny thing about this virus, as we've gone through and we've gained more knowledge, we know that uh, for most people, this virus is essentially a non-event. I mean, there's been five people that have under 50 that have died from it, despite thousands and thousands of people getting it. And most of those have already had pre-existing conditions. Uh, so if you're a 20-year-old, not one person in their 20s has died of this virus. If you're a 20-year-old, this is a non-event for you personally. Um, now, you know, where it is a problem is in the nursing homes. Now, I would oh, yes, argue perhaps yes. there is, you know, perhaps there is an argument for state intervention in the nursing homes because uh, they're in essentially state facilities, state-run facilities already, uh, and uh, many of these people that are dying are incapable of looking after themselves. Um, so given all that, I can see that perhaps if we were to take a practical approach, uh, not a pure libertarian approach, but a practical approach. We should be separating society, you know, we should be separating this virus and the impact of this virus out from the young people who are essentially um, unaffected by the virus, the impact of the virus themselves personally, uh, away from uh, protecting those that are impacted. And then you've got those that are in the grey zone, the older people that are relatively healthy probably won't be impacted. Uh, I think... Uh, 70 to 80 year olds, they've still got a 90% chance of recovering from the virus with very few, you know, impacts on their life. Uh, we saw that with Trump, but we've seen it with others. Uh, so they still get over it. But if they're concerned, if they're worried, they should look after themselves. And they, if, mm -hmm. if it's in the, within their capability, then I believe responsibility should be uh, at their, on their, you know, in, in, on their shoulders, not on society's shoulders. That's my mm -hmm. personal view. And the, the libertarian, I think most libertarians would share some, some sort of uh, commonality with that view. Now, if you look at what Sweden's done, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's been very light touch. Um, they're introducing a few restrictions now around gather gatherings um, and they're closing late night pubs where they think drunk people probably fraternize and mix a little bit more than they should. Um, so you know they're they're just, all cause, they're, do you know that their all cause death rate is lower now this year? All cause. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's Total interesting. Deaths. I was trying to find some. Yeah, total deaths. It's actually almost half. Yeah, they're, they're, half the people have died this year than die on a normal year mm. in Sweden. Um, so, look, you know, I think uh, the, the Swedes have kind of, they've got a government there that talks to their, their uh, people um, as proper constituents, as adults that can understand and assess risk. Uh, they can work out what's best in the, in, in, what's in their best interests as individuals in their own lives. And you contrast that against, say, the Australian or New Zealand or some of the more authoritarian states where they just dictate, they deploy the police force, they up the fines and the rules and the laws, um, and they turn it into a basically a police state. Now, I think, you know, for me, with my thinking, 
I know which is more freedom orientated, which is more liberty orientated. What I guess is probably concerning for you and I, Matt, is that basically it seems very popular living in an authoritarian state. Well, let's talk about that. It's very interesting to me that you, uh, I mean, we reference Sweden and saying, you know, they're not succumbing to this idea of big government over each police state. But we're talking yeah. about Sweden, you know, like that's Nordic countries. This is what Scandinavian, where big government p- people embrace it. You know, I've I've studied um, with Helsinki students, and they refer to their government as being kind. Like that's how they see their government, a paternalistic government. And yet, they're the one, only one of the only ones that haven't gone full crazy over this lockdown. So my question is, why have we gone full crazy? Because what you've just espoused earlier was quarantine the sick kind of what Gladys is doing when you have 60 cases of an outbreak in the Crossroads Hotel in Kasula, in Kasula, which has great schnitzel, everyone go to the Crossroads Hotel in Kasula. I used to live in Kasula. Uh, they don't shut down the state, but you have 34 cases or whatever it was in South Australia, shut down the state. And in, in, in Melbourne, we don't even need to talk about the craziness down here. How have these, uh, how has it flipped where, where Sweden is more free and Melbourne is is gone police state. And you know what the big thing is, Andrew? It's not just one or two. It's like a virus. Like everyone around the world is reaching for this giant lockdown ban hammer. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh I think there'll be a lot of uh navel gazing uh going on over the coming uh year or two. Uh because this is the big question. I've got libertarian friends that uh that are kind of very quiet, okay, uh, because they're scared. Uh, and because uh, uh, philosophically this would breach everything they believe and hold dear. Uh, but when you're scared, uh, when you're older and when you're scared and when you're scared for loved ones, uh, it's very easy to be meek and quiet. And, uh, and I, think, I think, you know, this is, uh, I mean, authoritarians know this. If you want to control the population, make them scared. Uh, and uh, and I think so. I, I guess that the, the question is, how do you deal with this as a uh, as a as a as a liberty lover? Um, well, you know, I don't have the definitive answer for that, Matt. I am as mm. concerned as you, and as concerned of others that love liberty. Because what what I am concerned about is that uh, is that uh, not only was this an opportunity for those that love liberty to deregulate the economy and uh and and not let a good crisis go to waste the opposite has happened is that we've had it's become an opportunity to overregulate the economy create more laws uh, uh more controls and uh uh you know i fear for the next time uh you know a bad a bad flu breaks out because uh at the end of the day if you believe saving lives from this virus makes sense then goodness me, how is it that we can't, we shouldn't be deploying the same tactics to save more lives from the flu, which kills exactly. a thousand people every year ordinarily anyway. Not anymore. Um, Flu's gone, statistically speaking. I had a statistician well, yesterday. It's yeah. gone. Yeah, it's, it's, go- it's gone. And the question is, how can we possibly ever open up again? Because if we do, we know we're going to kill a thousand people a year, right? Oh, Matt, how is, this, how is this morally possible? How can we do this? Do you want to kill grandpa- old people? You want to kill your grandmother? How I mean, dare you? Yeah, how dare you? Uh, and this is the this is this is the this is the corner we backed ourselves into. Um, if these measures save people's lives, um, how can we possibly ever open up again? It's so true. Uh, okay, but it, everyone is everywhere is doing it. I mean, what is going on with you guys voting back in Anastasia? Well, let's ask the bigger question: Why are people 
because the problem I don't think is Dan Andrews or Anastasia or the problem is us. Sorry to be a bit down on us, everyone, but why are we voting them back in? Jacinda, even Biden got heaps of votes with his crazy policies. Anastasia, what did you guys do? Uh, well, there's two reasons. Uh, I think we've discussed the first one. And, you know, Fear. Anastasia's message, the Labor Party's message was very simple. Keep Queenslanders safe. Yes. So it was the, it was a, it was Tony Abbott's three-word slogan. Did, yep. Not five of them, but they're still, still down to one. One slogan, keep Queenslanders safe. Mm. Uh, so that's the number one reason. The messaging was very good and pitched into a fearful population. Mm-hmm. Um, fearful that things might go bad. Not mm-hmm. fearful that things are bad. And then we had a very, very weak messaging on the other side. Um, so, you know, the main, the main issue in any election at the moment is COVID. Um, uh, the policy of the Labor Party is to defer all decision-making around COVID to the chief medical, medical officer, yeah. Janet Young. Guess yeah. what the policy of the Liberal National Party was? To defer all decision-making around COVID to the chief medical officer, Janet oh, Young. So I the main see. game in town. They have the same damn policies. Now, once you, you know, she could have said, uh, they could have differentiated and said, we're going to take the approach of New South Wales. We're yes. going to open the borders. We're going to, uh, we're going to um, energise the uh, tourism industry. We're going to, uh, uh, you know, create something different, create some more jobs. Yeah. Uh, instead, they had the same policies. They had no credibility when they talked about their more jobs. Uh, and, so under the circumstances, it seemed from a, a long way out that Labor was going to win that election in Queensland. This is where I'm being young. I'm only just discovering this now, but I'm wondering if governments, sorry, I'm wondering if oppositions lose elections more than governments win elections and, and vice versa, governments lose elections. Well, I think historically most would say that governments lose elections. Um, um, uh, you know, people get tired of good, even good governments. Uh, but um I think, I think, you know, it's this, this feeling of fear uh, okay. that uh, we must be saved at any cost. Uh, and, and, you know, cost being the operative word, right? I mean, the cost is just yeah. incredible what we're doing. Uh, but we must be yeah, saved Anast- at any cost. Um, yeah, Anastasia's killed people, no doubt. At least the, <laughs> the famous border closure one. I know, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't mean that literally. But, well, I do mean that literally. People are dying as a result of border closures. And the, the hot, you know, the... Uh, so, you know, I had, I had a friend's father come off the Ruby Princess. He got COVID. Um, he was taken up. He was 80. Goes up to uh, to the Marta Hospital here, the, one of the biggest hospitals in the state, if not the biggest. Yeah. Uh, there's a full floor dedicated to COVID. Uh, and they're massive floors. Staff everywhere. He's the only patient. He recovered, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But he's the only patient. Now, the cost in future diagnoses and deaths from that floor not being used for its fit purpose, its proper purpose in... Um, uh, you know, addressing diseases and preventable preventable diseases. I'm sure you've had people on, um, you know, that's that, that that'll be yet to be calculated, but we'll brush that aside in future years. You know, I know. Yeah. I know yeah. of at least one who, who, who died as a result of lack of uh, what do you call it? Surveillance. They weren't getting surveillance. Right. Late yep. stage cancer gone. So yep. what, okay. I, I get, I get why Anastasia one up there, I guess I wasn't familiar with Deb, but Feckleton, I wasn't familiar Freckleton. with her. Brickleton. Yeah. Wasn't familiar yeah. with her campaign. Sounds terrible. Yeah, uh, the, the, the LNP up here are very weak. Um, personally, I'd like to see a clear out of their administration. I think there's been a few people already gone. I think the penny's basically dropping. The, the trend up here is to blame everything on the previous LNP Premier, uh, Campbell Newman, yeah. who uh, 
was one that actually, uh, whether you agree or disagree with him, he, he, he stood up for what he believed in. And, uh, you know, I've got to respect someone who does that. And then you have, ever since then, they've been, uh, they've been, they've been hiding under their bed, scared to say anything. So um, they kind of deserve to get what they got. Uh, in a way, um, yeah. but uh, it's a horrible administration. The Labor government up here at the moment—they uh, didn't even produce a budget. I mean, I'm like, my God, how, what, what? Who, who can win an election without producing a budget? And Anastasia uh, can. The, yeah, the opposition <laughs> couldn't even exploit it. So, oh, Matt, I don't want to talk about it. It'll bore your listeners, uh, right, but right. but uh, it's very frustrating. Oh, quickly about Campbell Newman. I've been a big fan, mainly because I, I don't know, I guess you've got this giant public, a previous guest on here said you've got this giant public service in Queensland, which is a huge vote issue up there, which never really was for us in New South Wales. But yeah, he took an axe to public service, 40,000 jobs. Yeah. Yeah, And uh, I didn't didn't have a problem with that. Oh, I didn't have a problem with what he did. And because he, he's honest, like now, even as a commentator on Sky or whatever now, he's the same damn guy. And I love that. Yeah, well, if you look at so if we get back to sort of um, uh, libertarian thinking, um, government is massive here, but it's massive in every state. Um, mm. And and you know, libertarians that think that government are involved in many things that they have no business being involved in, mm. uh, and uh, being involved in uh, you know hospitals and um, and education, for example, which are two massive draws on. Uh, on uh, on uh, government spending, there's just no there's no need for it. There's no need for government to be involved in education whatsoever. I mean, all the evidence shows people pay money to send their kids to a private school for a reason. Private schools mm-hmm. do it better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if all schools were private, essentially they'd be run better. They'd listen to the uh, to the parents more, uh, and they would uh, you'd get better outcomes. Uh, but of course, we know that the education system is uh, is owned by the union movement. And uh, for most governments, that's impossible to move. But, you know, I'd defer to say Milton Friedman's uh, a halfway house between pure libertarianism and the current situation would be Milton Friedman's voucher system. Uh, Give everyone a $12,000 voucher and tell them to go knock themselves out. Go and spend that at a private school. You want to top up a little bit more? Go for it. Otherwise, I can guarantee you the private sector would rush to create great schools in order to compete to get those vouchers. Uh, and suddenly, and suddenly, uh, state governments are shrunk by a third. It'll be a brilliant outcome. And our, is it? Our, you know, in fifty years' time, our kids would be so much our parent. You know, the kids and the generation after them would be so much better for it. Is there anywhere in the world that's done that kind of a system, or is there any chance that we might go towards that? Or is that just never going to happen? It's never going to happen, Matt. Uh, it's never going to happen. Not that I can see, mate. Uh, the only kids. way you can put, look, and the the way I say it's never going to happen was uh, the national curriculum has been brought in, which centralizes, uh, mm. which centralizes uh, the, um, the bureaucracy even more. There are 5,000 bureaucrats in Canberra in the education department there. They don't teach one child. They don't own one school. What the hell are they doing? What they're doing is they're creating systems to feed down to the states to try and tell the states how to teach our children. But, of course, the bureaucracy is the bureaucracy. Uh, we know what it's going to become. Our standards are dropping. They will continue to drop. Uh, and the only chance we have is we get rid of the federal government and one of the states goes it alone and tries to experiment. But that won't happen at the moment because it's been entirely bureaucratized. See, I've got um, so- kids about to enter school. So I was hoping you'd give me yep. good news. I don't, I don't know whether to send to a private school or a public school. I don't know if I should be scared of the public schooling system. Yeah, well, my kids are in, in, uh, in, in private schools, but it is a... 
you know, I might, I think I worked out, I'll spend about $600,000 on those kids. So um, uh, going to school over the journey, uh, perhaps if I put that in some sort of uh, interest bearing deposit, uh, maybe giving each of them 300 grand each when they graduate from year 12 or when they're 21 might be a better, better move. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Good luck. All right. Yeah. I'm in Melbourne Actually, too. One, so, other thing, one other thing, Matt, I was going to mention, yeah. we're talking about Campbell Newman. Yeah. So Campbell Newman was a hard, he brought in uh, very uh, draconian uh, and anti-liberty uh, bikey laws up here in Queensland to deal oh, with the drug, right. drug yeah. industry. Uh, basically, he gave extraordinary powers to uh, mm. to police to uh, uh, to uh, address what he saw was a scourge of um, of the of, of bikies uh, being fueled by the business model of drugs. Uh, now, last year at CPAC, uh, Campbell Newman stood up in front of conservatives from across the country uh, and gave a speech about decriminalising drugs, the drug industry, what? taking away taking away the business model. Um, of uh, of that 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 fuels the these these criminal gangs. Now I tell you what, that was a controversial speech. Uh, mm. And David Limbrick uh, did did a similar speech. They were kind of tag teaming. Mm. That was the most controversial speeches for conservatives. But all credit to Campbell Newman. He changed his views. He's on a journey. He's on the freedom. He's on the freedom train, as far as I can I can tell. Um, and he realizes that uh, a victimless crime like taking a drug is a health. It's a health issue. Mm. Uh, and the only thing that uh, criminalization of drugs does is it gives a business model to uh, two criminals. And, uh, and uh, you know, I really respected uh, him for doing that at CPAC. It was, it was well, wonderful maybe speech. was a vote winner, though, to have anti-bikey laws. That's a big vote winner. It was a vote winner. Yeah, absolutely was. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, but, you know, I'm a libertarian. It's not all about the votes, right? <clears throat> Clearly. Yeah, you're more principled. David is like that as well. David Limbrick is, I find him annoyingly yeah. principled sometimes. I say to him, look, if you just if you just do this, and he says, yeah, but nah. And I, well, I, wow, he's willing to throw away. Anyway, great principled guy. Uh, it, it's funny you mentioned drug decriminalization. I I'm definitely not a conservative. I mean, I, I'm a I'm for criminal. I've never tried a drug. <clears throat> I've never even tried a cigarette, and yet I want yep. them to be fully legalized. I mean, not not yep. people falling over in the street, injecting meth or whatever, but. Um, I don't understand why marijuana is illegal. And I don't even. No, it, it's illegal for historical cultural reasons. I mean, it's not illegal yeah. because of what it is or what it does. Um, you know, I, you know, um, I think the problem for many people uh, in conservatives in particular is uh, legalization. The law confers a, some sort of uh, morality on something. So if something uh... isn't illegal, then it must be moral. Uh, but what I try to explain to conservatives in particular is that the law does not confer morality. I mean, some horrible things were illegal. I mean, only men could vote, for example, at one stage. Uh, was that moral? Of course not. Um, you know, Aboriginal people couldn't vote. That wasn't moral. Uh, so, you know, the law is not an arbiter of what's moral or what's right. The law is just simply uh, what's legislated. Um so I think uh, if we get past this idea that somehow legalizing drugs therefore means that we're advocating for drugs, uh, if we can get past that silly sort of proposition, mm. then we get into the issue about, you know, what's the best way to deal with the drug problem. And the way I look at the drug problem, it's not the drug problem isn't just uh, the impact that it has on the individual uh, or those around them, but it's the impact that it has on budgets in terms of um, 
the cost of uh, policing and the cost of incarceration and the impact that it has on the lives of people that do get incarcerated for victimless crimes. Um, now, if a drug-fueled uh, ice addict goes and uh, hurts someone or, you know, uh, does something, then they should be, they should have the full force of the law should be thrown at them for the damage that they've done, the violence that they've caused, the property damage that they've caused. But if someone who has hurt themselves on drugs, it just seems absolutely pointless to me to throw or incarcerate that person um, uh, because the damage of that incarceration to that person's lives and the people around them is probably even worse. And so I, just, I look at it and I just think from a, a practical point of view, um, decriminalising uh, most drugs to start with uh, puts it in the realm of the health, just like alcohol. Alcohol kills 15,000 people a year, far worse yes. than yes. any drugs, any drug yes. problem whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and yet uh, somehow that's acceptable and, um, and we deal with that as a health, health problem. I can guarantee you, do you criminalise marijuana? Nothing's going to change except people who are, you know, criminals who earn a, a dollar out of trafficking marijuana uh, won't earn that dollar. That's a good thing. Well, you know, if you go down the ATF in the US, the end of the the end of the road with criminalizing victimless crimes, you've got people in prison there serving massive multi-year sentences for being caught possessing small amounts of marijuana. Then you've got people yeah. doing real crimes getting out. It's crazy. Yep. It is madness. It is madness. And, um, you know, I know I've got conservative, very much involved in some of the conservative think tanks in um in uh, the US, the American Conservative Union, which uh, which um, owns the uh, the massive twenty thousand sort of attendee CPAC in DC mm. each year, uh, they did a CPAC uh, they did a CPAC offshoot in a jail uh, because they're very concerned about the overcriminalization of people, and they actually took a CPAC conference to a jail with real inmates and attendees mm. attending side by side. Um, to illustrate the point that they, even they, the, the American Conservative Union, is uh, very much concerned about uh, overcriminalization of victimless crimes, and uh, I think I, the faster Australia gets to that point, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I, interesting. You just, I mean, you've, of course, we've been talking about positive law versus natural law. You know, our laws. Do that? Does morality come from from legislation, or is it something else? I'm so thankful that for the first time in my lifetime, at least. I feel like Australians are saying, are asking this question because some of these laws are so ridiculous. Here in Victoria, we've got Dan saying we might have to follow. I mean, we've had no cases for 20 days or something, and we still have mandatory masks. Today, it becomes mandatory indoors only, not outdoors. Uh, but we have laws like this. And even to the point with our Premier saying when we travel to other states, he hasn't confirm this yet but potentially we will have to make we will have to still wear masks and be subject to the laws of victoria which is a jurisdictional fallacy but this is where people are saying hey aussies normal aussies are saying whoa whoa, whoa, hang on these governments are a bit you know what they legislate does not equal morality do you have any ideas on how we can further this kind of fix this trend we've had for the past 30 years towards um, positive law and get people to wake up to natural rights, natural law? Uh, well, you know, I was a little bit dismissive of voting earlier in our interview here, but uh, the best thing you can do is find a political party that believes that and vote for them, uh, particularly in the upper houses around most. Queensland doesn't have an upper house, so we suffer mm-hmm. greatly from that. But in the upper houses around the country, if you can get, uh, if you can get um, uh, individuals or political parties that believe fervently in those 
uh, principles in the upper house, at least that becomes a stopgap on further legislation. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably, I think just slowing the pace of legislation uh, because as I said before, every time you legislate, you take away somebody's right to do something. Mm. Uh, and typically these are just, natural right issues we're not talking about common law we're not talking about proper crimes we're just talking about people's ability to trade with each other or to uh uh you know lead their lives like in queensland it's illegal to leave your own keys in your own car yeah um that's 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 a fine that's worthy of a fine um you know so it's just crazy laws um you know i think in practice what we need to do is we need to stop the expansion uh there's still 60 70,000 pages every year of new laws just when you think matt you know, it was impossible to think of something else to regulate. You know, haven't we exhausted our regulation? We've done this for, you know, throughout our history, you know, creating as many laws as possible. Somehow we come up with sixty to 70,000 more pages worth of regulation every year. Um, so I don't know where it all ends. Uh, what we need to do, though, is you need to exercise uh, your vote, um, get as many politicians in that believe in the, uh, in the natural rights of individuals and, uh, and get them as a stopgap. Um, and we all need to become uh, more advocates for these things. I'll tell you a little story. At CPAC last year, uh, it was my first CPAC conference, and um, I had uh, two different people come to me, approach me, uh, and share with me how it was so good to be able to be in an environment with, you know, 600, 700 other people um, and talk freely about, you know, free speech ideas or, uh, um, you know, other liberty mind. The education thing was one thing. And, just, and, and both of them were saying that in their communities, and they both came from uh, regional areas, in their communities, it was almost impossible to talk freely now amongst, um, amongst their, their, even their friends set, you know, because it had become so politically correct, the conversations that, that they were having, that, that they felt that they were entirely shut down socially. And both of them, started having tears come down there. You know, they felt so, wow. and this is what, this is what, this is where culturally we've become. We've become so closed off to even considering alternates to what the, what is prevailing at the time. And I think it's beholden upon all of us um, to speak more freely, take a risk, uh, because I think you'll be surprised, you know, that there are more people than we realize that share these ideas. Um, you know, we've had so much support for Zoe Buller, um, with her, even though those measures that Dan Andrews has brought in appear on the surface to be very popular, according to the opinion yeah. polls, yeah. and there's a, there's a, there is still a huge volume of people out there Great. that um, that agree that that they've gone over the top. And I think what will happen over the next year or so is um, as the welfare, the federal welfare, starts to be pulled off people, mm. and the decimation of industry and the retail sector in uh, Victoria becomes apparent then perhaps we'll see a little bit of a turning of the uh, opinion polls there, but who knows? Time will tell. Oh, I'm glad we got onto the culture wars. Effectively what you're talking about is we can shift the culture yeah. by being a bit more bold in our conversations. Maybe don't yeah. be so scared, everyone. You're not alone. There are other undercover freedom-loving people. Our, uh, the, um, the theme of this year's conference um, in Sydney was uh, your voice is your weapon. Mm. And, uh, Last year, Christina Keneally and Anthony Albanese and Richard Miles and Mark Dreyfus and Penny Wong, they all spoke out against CPAC. CPAC. Mm. Christina Keneally said in Parliament it was a cavalcade of hate. You know, speakers <laughs> like Tony Abbott and Mark Latham and, mm. uh, and Nigel Farage speaking, right? It was a cavalcade of hate. 
But the reason they did it was because they're scared of what CPAC has become in the US. It's become a sounding board and a springboard for uh, new ideas in the conservative and the libertarian movement. And the left were concerned that, you know, uh, conservatives and libertarians were going to be gathering in such numbers with such a strong brand and such a strong speaker uh, list behind it because they're concerned that people will start to speak up. And so that was our theme this year, just a few weeks ago, your voice is your weapon. And it really is. If you do speak up, um, it, uh, it, it can be your weapon to having more sensible conversations and espousing those ideas that uh, are kind of innate in all of us. I, I'm very encouraged to hear, because you know, some Ricardo Bozzi and Joel invited me to go to CPAC. Oh, I couldn't, we're in lockdown. But um, yeah. that's that's great that you're doing that. And I'm, I'm just realizing we have a, Discernibles has an event here in a couple of weeks with um, Gideon Rosner from the IPA speaking. And it just, that wasn't deliberate. I just wanted to have an event because Melbourne's been under lockdown and, you know, make yeah. us all feel a bit better. But it's interesting yep. to me that liberty-minded stuff like our event and others seem to be popping up, emerging naturally. That encourages me. I think in the end, we we may actually win this this war because perhaps liberty, uh, like Leonard Hayes said in the US, right? It lies within the hearts and hearts of men and women. It's not legislated. It's not it's not external. Yeah. So I'm very hopeful. Hey, uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, the IPA, they they they're sponsors and get involved with uh, CPAC and John Roskam's doing a fantastic job there. But I love Gideon too. I mean, Gideon looks at a pandemic as an an absolute opportunity. Uh, it's an opportunity to, uh, you know, espouse these ideas of liberty because right now we can point to what the alternative is. And the yeah. alternative is a bloody police state. It's yeah. a massive police state backed by uh, huge taxes. And at the, at, the, at, at the whim of a dictator, essentially, uh, they can shut your business down. And, that, yeah. and, and so, you know, Gideon's very positive about the future of, um, yeah. of uh, freedom and liberty and, and the principles. Yeah. And, and I guess I, I am too in a way, but... Yeah. Um, uh, you know, he's, he, he's, he's, he's all over that. So, uh, you know, it is good. And I think you're right. I think, um, I think there's a bit of a, a bit of a pushback going on right now. Mm. Uh, after CPAC, I went to, um, to Canberra to, uh, to isolate in Canberra to get rid of those Sydney germs before I could yep. safely, uh, yep. return to Queensland. So two weeks in Canberra is a real experience. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, thankfully, we spent a few days running around the halls of parliament talking to uh, LNP uh, right. members, senators and MPs. Yeah. And uh, to a person, they're concerned about where they're going themselves. But I think I think they're also positive about the contrast that this creates. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, you've got to take you've got to you've got to look at the silver linings in any experience. Right. So perhaps that's the silver lining with this pandemic. Hey, Andrew. Uh- you before we came on air, you, you, were, you seemed to be a bit worried that you wouldn't have anything to say for an hour. You know, it's been an hour and twelve minutes. Holy crap! Yeah, well, maybe that's the operative word, right? Crapping on. No, <laughs> it's, no, it's been, been a good chat. One, look, thank you, Andrew. It's been one of my favourite interviews in a long time. I don't know if it's because you're amazing at this, or I'm just really interested in the topic. But whatever the case, I've loved having you on. Thank you so much for being here. To finish, Thanks, I've got a you. Yeah, it's been great. I've got to ask you the same question I ask everyone towards the end. Yep. What are your predictions? Where are we going in whatever field that you want to talk about? But what do you see for the next few months and the next couple of years? You've already said that Victoria might wake up a bit and, and see the devastation from Dan when the um, government teat comes off, which is good. But, uh, yeah, do you have any other predictions for other parts of, of the country? Um, okay. Uh, so... 
one of the greatest potential freedom or libertarian breakthroughs is currently work in motion, and that's the mass adoption of Bitcoin. Um, it's something that uh, has the ability to break down global barriers to trade and finance. Uh, it's got something that can, uh, uh, you know, save individuals, uh, save Venezuelans from the tyranny of their oppressive governments, where literally uh, Venezuelan currency is being thrown in the bin because it's mm -hmm. too much. It's worth less than the effort it takes to take it to the bank. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I but think. To be, uh, so to be clear, when you say Bitcoin, you're not talking about as a speculative investment like most people understand Bitcoin. You're talking about as a currency. I'm talking about a well. I'm talking about both. Actually, I'm talking about a store of wealth, a safe haven for uh, uh, for wealth that can be eroded by uh, government. Okay. Now, what okay. we've seen in the last uh, uh, the last uh, nine months essentially is a massive ramp up of debt globally by pretty well every country in the world. Now, there's been an unprecedented use of the word unprecedented this year, but I can assure you this is an unprecedented situation where every Three country times. is loaded up on debt. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, what uh, Bitcoin offers is a uh, portable, um, mm. safe uh, store of value, a way to store, store your, your, your country around so it's protected from uh, potential uh, high inflation down the track uh, and it allows you to travel and take it with you wherever you want. And uh, so what's my prediction? I'm, ex I'm predicting uh, Bitcoin to... Uh, uh, to accelerate and uh, and get close to mass adoption over the next few years, and that would be just a massively wow. good thing for the world. If I wanted to jump in, uh, you know, put put some money into there, uh, probably not now, right? It's just had a run up towards Christmas. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not your investment advisor, but uh, but I'd expect it to keep running. But anyway, <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I'm looking for a correction, maybe early next year. But I have no idea. Don't listen to my advice on that. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, to, for people to check out what you do, libertyworks.org.au. Yeah, libertyworks.org.au or cpacaustralia.org.au. Um, and we have other initiatives as well, but you can get to all those through the Liberty Works website. So uh, love to see you there and love to see you at one of our events one day. Yes, next year. Unless we go, no, lockdown three will be enforced by then and I won't be allowed to come. I'm sure we're going to have a third yeah, lockdown. It'll be, it'll be like two cases, right? And we'll be going into statewide lockdown by then. We, ha yeah. we have new legislation now where COVID um, poses a material risk of substantial injury, even when there are no cases of COVID-19 in Victoria. So we now need zero cases. Anyway, we've turned negative again. Andrew, yeah. thank you for coming on. See you. See you, back. Time, See you, mate. Right. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.